Well, good morning to you all and welcome back to face-to-face -face services. Some of you have rejoined us this weekend in our face-to-face -face services and it's a, it's a real pleasure and it's a joy to be able to gather again. And some of you are still at home. Um, thank you for joining us. We hope that this message really speaks to you today. Today I'm going to be continuing in our series, our one-of-a-kind series. And last week I began to look at the life of Moses. And we looked at the first portion of the life of Moses. And I'm going to continue to do that today. Uh, and what I'm really doing in all of this is I'm just walking us through the pages of Scripture and trying to glean and apply what we find in the life of this great man to our own lives today. Um, just taking, uh, or sort of like, if you can imagine breaking bread and sharing, that's really what I'm wanting us to do. Just take the word and partake of it and have it really feed us and strengthen us, have us learn something from the life of a man, a great man who lived and his life is recorded for us in the Word of God. Um, and I'm hoping that as we do this with the life of Moses, you'll continue to do this type of study and you'll continue to look at other um, characters in the Bible for yourself. It's such, uh, such a good tool, such a good discipline. Um, yeah, and I hope you're encouraged from what we cover today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your Word May it nourish us, may it feed us, may it strengthen us. May you convict us and challenge us and encourage us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Fill my heart, mind, and mouth with your words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as I said last week, the accounts of the lives of men and women in the Bible are such a gift to us. There's so much we can glean about God and His heart, His priorities, His purposes, His processes in dealing with us. And um, today we're going to continue looking at the life of Moses and the dealings of God with him and through him. And please uh, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, trust him to speak to you as we continue looking at the life of Moses. And where we pick up the life of Moses is where he's at the backside of the desert and God appears to him in a burning bush. And that's where we finished last week and that's where we're going to pick up this week. And it's there at the backside of the desert that God locates him, God finds him. And that is so encouraging. And I said this last week that God knows how and where to locate us, even when no one else knows where we are, even if we may be lost to other people, we are never lost to God. And at the backside of the desert, that's where God finds Moses and speaks to him and gives him a call. And his call was to bring God's people out of Egypt. And another thing that I find interesting about this call is that Moses was alone when God gave him this call. It was just God and Moses and God spoke very clearly to him. It was a massive event in the history of God's people, but there were no crowds to witness it. There was no TV crew to record it. You see, God doesn't need these things to validate himself or to validate his workings. He doesn't need, a popu he doesn't need popularity. He doesn't need uh, a majority vote. He doesn't need lots of likes on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever. He just needs one man who is obedient and willing. He just needs one woman who's obedient. That's what God needs. And um, so that's really encouraging about God's call to Moses. Um, 
And what I'm wanting to begin to look at today is the reservations that Moses had around God using him. Uh, remember, we looked at Moses last week. We looked at him at 40 years of age where he had that desire to uh, to defend, to deliver even his fellow Hebrews, his fellow Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. And he sees an Egyptian beating one of his Hebrew um, uh, countrymen and he, something rises up in him and he actually kills that Egyptian. So there was Moses, fierce, strong, willing to carry out that sense of, I need to deliver my people. He, want, he was willing to do it in his own strength, willing to take matters into his own hands very quickly, very easily. But now at the backside of the desert, at 80 years of age, this is 40 years later in terms of the process of God in his life, he's become quite a different man. And so God calls him and now suddenly he's not as eager, he's not as willing, he's not as quick to say, yes, I can do it, Lord. He's got a whole lot of reservations. And as I read through these various reservations and we just look at them a bit more deeply, I really want us to look at our lives and think about how God has called us and deep in our hearts, what are your and my reservations and what are we saying to God in terms of why possibly he can't use us or we can't use us now or we can't use us in that way. I just want us to think about that as we explore these reservations that Moses had. And the first reservation that Moses had was, we see in Exodus 3, uh, verse 10 to 11, and it's basically, who am I, Lord? Who am I that I should go? Um, and the Lord says, says to Moses, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses says to him, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? You know, and we too, we can say that to God as well. Who am I? And I discussed this last week. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm not healthy enough. My bank account isn't healthy enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not I'm not skilled enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not popular enough. We have all of these reasons why God can't. But you know what God says to us? His response to all of our reasons why we think he can't use us um, is the same response that he gave to Moses. And you know what God's response was? God's response was this. I will be with you. I will be with you. He doesn't say, no, you're not too young. No, you're not to this. No, you're not to that. No, you'll be fine. No, this. He just says, I will be with you. Isn't that, isn't that so, it's so simple, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't cause us to put faith and strength in our own abilities. It actually causes us to realize, you know what? He will be with me. I need him. I need him to be with me because I can't do it on my own. And I think that is why God actually loves it when we, when we understand that we can't do it without him. And another example of this is in Judges 6, verse 11 to 16. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. And you're familiar with this story. And it says, the angel of the Lord came, sat down under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah and belonged to Joash while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So he's terrified, okay? He's threshing wheat in a winepress. 
and he's hiding from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I know I've said this before, and Gideon probably looked behind him and thought, Is there somebody else in this winepress that I wasn't aware of? You know, because mighty man of valor, that's not me. But but Gideon says to the to the to the angel of the Lord, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened? And where are his miracles, which our fathers told us? You know, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. He's delivered us into the hand of these Midianites. And the Lord turns to him and says, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So he's saying, Lord, who, me? How can I? How, how, how can I? It's the same thing. Question uh, Moses was asked, same question Moses was asking God. And you know what the Lord says to Gideon? In verse 16, it says, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Sound familiar? I will be with you. How can I do it? I will be with you. You can say to the Lord, But how can I? And he says, I will be with you with you. That is so encouraging. When God is with us and he's called us to do something, you can be sure that he will fulfill that which he's called us to fulfill if he is truly with us. Hallelujah. Okay. The second reservation that Moses raises is is another reservation that we often have. And he says, when I tell them this, that you have sent me to them and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say? When I tell them this, and when I tell them that you have sent me to them, they and they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to say? So he's kind of saying, what if they ask me by whose authority I am saying these things to them? What if they ask me who has sent me? They'll obviously see I'm a nobody. They'll know I'm a nobody. So they, they're going to want to know who am I really representing? And you know what God's response was? Tell them, I am has sent me to you. God's response is, I am has sent me to you. God, God has sent you. In Galatians 1 verse 1, um, Paul writes and he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Do you know who sent you? I love how Paul introduces so many of his epistles. He introduces it, introduces them like I've just read in Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul understood who had sent him. He understood in whose authority he stood. He understood whose authority he was coming in. He understood whom he was representing. Do you know who has sent you? Do you know who has sent you? Who has appointed you? Has God appointed you? Because if you're going to do something and representing God, he better have appointed you. You better not be a self-made man. You better not be a self-made this or a self-made that. You better be God appointed. And if God has appointed you and God has sent you, whom has he sent you to? We see here that God sent Moses to the Israelites. There was an audience for Moses. Okay? He didn't send Moses to anybody else. He sent him to the Israelites for the Israelites. Okay, the Egyptians came to the picture too, but God was sending him to his people. 
Okay, who is God sending you to? We started looking at this last week. The, the groups that we have compassion for. Is it the elderly? Is it youth? Is it um, compassion you have for, for unborn babies or for um, orphans? Or is it widows? Or is it married couples? You know, what are the, is it children? What are the groups of people? Is it the poor? What are, the, what are those people that really grab your heart? Who has God sent you to? Okay, in 1, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1 to 2, Paul says, Paul, and a called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, carries on verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Isn't that amazing? Paul, an apostle through the will of God, and he's writing to the church of God at Corinth. Very clear. What are you? Who has called you? Who has sent you? And who is he sending you to? It's very very important that we understand these types of um, things in our lives. The third reservation that Moses has is, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? In Exodus 4 verse 1, Moses answers and says, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. What does God say? God's response, well then we'll show them a few miracles. And then God commands Moses to take a rod in his hand, throw it on the ground, it becomes a snake. Uh, Moses picks it up and it becomes a rod again. God commands Moses to put um, his hand inside his tunic. When he brings it out, it's leprous. He puts it back in his tunic. And when he brings it out, it's clean and healthy. So God says, you know what? We're going to show them a few things. And then in verse 9 of Exodus 4, he says, And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. And I love how God doesn't pacify Moses. He doesn't reassure him that it will all go smoothly. He doesn't say, nah, don't worry, they'll believe you, they'll believe you, it'll be fine. He doesn't say that. He actually hints that they still might not believe Moses. He says, if they still don't believe you after these things, then do this. Um, and, you, but you, and you might say to me, but you know what? I don't have a rod. I'm not going to put my hand in the tunic and bring it out leprous. You know, what, what, what am I going to do if people don't believe me when God sends me to say something to them or when, God, when I feel like God is calling me to do something or sending me to a group of people and they don't believe that God has sent me, what do I do? Well, you know what? I've got an answer for you from Ezekiel, from the call of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 2 verse 2 to 5 says, Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me and he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel. There you go. He knew God was sending him and he was sending him to a specific group of people. Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, they and their fathers, for they are impudent and stubborn. And I'm sending you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, hint, hint, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. You see, God calls us to obey. We can't control whether people believe us or whether they don't believe us. We can't control whether people receive from us what God has given us to, to give or not. What all we can do is be faithful and obedient to what God has charged us to do. All we can do is be faithful deliverers of what God has called us to deliver. It's like, it's like we are the postman sometimes. God gives us a message. 
We have to be faithful to deliver it. Once I've delivered the message, the responsibility and the accountability for that message no longer lies within my hands. I've already delivered it as the postman. The responsibility and the accountability is upon you to fulfill that word and everything that it comes with. And that's what God calls us to do. We have to be faithful and obedient with what he gives us to deliver. So if people don't believe you, that is on them. That is not on you. As long as you've discharged your responsibility before the Lord and you've done it with a clean heart and you've done it to the fullness with love, how God desired you to do it, that is, that is, that is enough. The fourth reservation that Moses has, he says, but I can't speak well. I'm not eloquent. Exodus 4 verse 10 to 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to me. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. And the Lord, you can almost sense the Lord is starting to get a bit agitated by this. And he says, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. You see, even the things, even our areas of weakness, God can use us in those very areas. He's not dependent on our strength. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. And the foolishness of God, if there's such a thing, is wiser than the, wise, than the wisdom of man. God will always be enough. God says to him, I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. I will be with you. I am enough. I love what it says in Matthew 10, verse 18 to 20. You'll be brought, brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Isn't that encouraging? Acts 4 verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is such an encouraging scripture for me. At this point, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them up. And when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, they speak the word of, they spoke the word of God with boldness. And that is what happens in our lives. When we filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a boldness that comes upon us. There's a boldness that comes immediately. And there is a boldness that comes as we walk out the purpose of God in our lives. Um, it's interesting to me, Acts 4, verse 7 to 8, uh, the religious leaders um, are speaking to Peter and, 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 says, and, they, and it says, when they set them in their midst, they, the religious leaders, asked, by what power and, or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Then we see in verse 13, it says, now when they saw, that's the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, when we have been with Jesus, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, 
then it doesn't matter whether we can do this, whether we can't do that, whether we think we can speak, whether we can't speak. There's a boldness that comes upon us. There's an unction that can come upon us from the Holy Spirit. There's something that comes upon us as we walk with Jesus that helps us even in our weaknesses and makes us able to do what we couldn't do without him. You know, when I was growing up, when I was 18 years old, I remember I was a prefect and I had to stand up in front of the whole high school and do a scripture reading. And I was so fearful. I cried. I literally, I don't even remember reading the particular scripture. I just, I remember crying. I was just terrified. I couldn't do it. Stand up in front of people. I was just mortified. I couldn't. And for me today, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I've spent time with Jesus and he's brought so much freedom in my life that I love standing up in front of people, not for the sake of standing up in front of people, but I love standing up and teaching and exhorting and sharing the word of God and sharing, encouraging things from the Holy Spirit. And, and I could, especially when I see lights go on in people's eyes, when I see people's lives transformed, when I'm giving people tools that help them, you know, that equip them, that strengthen them, that make a difference in their lives. When I'm sharing something that I believe is life-changing and powerful from the Holy Spirit, I don't have any fear at all. And that is not something that I've worked through. That is not something that I've had to like pull myself up by my bootstraps. That is a boldness that comes from the Lord because God does that type of thing when he sends us, when he asks us to do something, he really does become more than enough as we step out in obedience and trust him. Finally, the fifth reservation or the fifth thing that Moses says in terms of um, asking him, asking the Lord, please, please don't use me. He actually says, I am not the man. Please send someone else, anyone else, anyone else, just not me. Can you see? This is a completely different man after the process of God in his life. He's like, please don't send me, Lord. Please don't. Just, just leave me. You know, I'm happy. I don't need that. Exodus 4 verse 13 to 16, he says, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron, Aaron your brother? I know he can speak well. Look, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad. Now you shall speak to him and you shall put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. I will teach you what you shall do and he shall be your spokesman to the people and he shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. So God was basically saying, you are the one that I'm going to speak to and you're going to give that message to Aaron and Aaron can stand up in front of the people and deliver the message that you give him to speak. So God gave him Aaron. It wasn't necessarily God's first choice, but God gave him Aaron and he said, you'll tell him what to say. He will be your spokesperson. You see, the point is that God hadn't prepared Aaron for the job. God had prepared Moses. God hadn't prepared Aaron. Moses was looking and he was saying, anyone else can do this job better than me. But God looked down and thought to, and, and knew in his heart and knew there's no one else for this job but you. Meanwhile, Moses is thinking, choose anybody else except me, Lord. Anyone else will be better, you know. So we don't see like God sees. Um, and the thing is that Moses wasn't confident in his ability, but God wasn't looking at Moses' his ability. God was looking at Moses' availability. God was confident in his own ability to fulfill his purposes through Moses. 
And we need to remember that, that, that God is enough. Whatever God has called us to, He is enough. When you are ready, when He is ready to perform His word, God is enough. You know, think of the main reason why you can't be used by God the way you know He wants to use you or the way that you know He's spoken to you about. What is the main reason? God's response is most likely that He will be with you and that and that He will be enough to that very reason, that you, that very reservation that you've given God. Um, so when I think about God's processes to bringing a word to fruition. I see two processes happening. I see the process of preparation and calling and shaping of the man or woman that is going to that is going to help to bring that word to fruition. So there's that process of preparation um, and bringing that person to a place of readiness and to a place of receiving and accepting the call. And the second process that I also see happening, and we see both of these processes in the life of Moses, is the process of the fulfillment of the word. And often they can coincide, maybe they coincide, maybe they overlap. Um, maybe the latter assists in the former to some extent, and in some instances. In the case of Moses, we see that in, um, in God's eyes, um, or in Moses' eyes anyway, after the process of God, Moses actually felt less prepared and more inadequate to fulfill God's purpose. But in God's eyes, he was actually ready. He was ripe. And this process of Moses' preparation took many years. Um, and I think, it, I think God likes it when we are aware of our own inadequacy because it means we will rely on him. And it means we will do what we need to do in faith without claiming glory for ourselves or without trusting in our own strength and wisdom and abilities. Um, in terms of the fulfillment of the word of God, when God looked down and saw it was time to act to free his, free his people, Moses was ready. Um, but it still took at least another 40 years to bring his people into their promised land. You see, God is a God of process. God loves using process to shape our hearts. God, if he gives you a word today, you can, I'm pretty sure it's highly unlikely that it's, it's going to happen tomorrow, especially if it's some major word, because God is a God of process. So the Israelites are crying out to God. He gives them, Moses is born. It's 40 years of, of Moses being shaped, in, you know, um, before Moses receives the call of God. And then he receives the call and to go and, and free God's people. So God says, now's the time to act. I want to free my people. It's still another 40 years before they taste the fulfillment of that word because it's a process and God loves using process. And that those two processes were about shaping the hearts of the people involved. It was about shaping Moses' heart. It was about shaping his character. And then the fulfillment of the word and bringing the people into the promised land. It was about shaping their hearts. It was about them having a heart of belief and having the right heart to enter into the promised land. So it's important that we remember that um, when we're looking at the purposes of God and wor the words that we've received from God. So we've been looking at the process of God as it pertains to Moses' life, and now I'm going to continue and look specifically at the process of God in terms of the fulfillment of the word of God to Moses and his people. And I want to draw your attention back to the word that um, was given in Exodus 3, verse 7 to 8. 
The Lord says, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. You see, that was the prophetic word that God gave. That was what he was wanting to do. And have you ever noticed that when God speaks something and he declares something in a prophetic word uh, or a prophecy or a declaration that he loves to give us the picture at the end, but not so much the details of the path or the process from here all the way to there. He doesn't, he doesn't like, he doesn't often do that. He gives us the picture at the end, and that's what we've got our eyes on. But there will be a process for us to get from where we are to where God, the picture that God has painted for us. And we see this in so many accounts of the Bible when God declares what he's going to do. He doesn't give all the small print and he doesn't give all the in-between happenings. And we see this as well as Moses works out the fulfillment of this particular word. Um, at a certain point, we see that God in his mercy gives Moses a few more details. Okay. And um, he says to Moses, the elders of the Israelites will go with you and you will go before Pharaoh to ask him to let your people go for three days to sacrifice to your Lord. And he will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. And I will strike Egypt with wonders and then you will go and you will not go empty handed. You see, God, God kind of just gives the highlights, you know, and at least he told Moses, at least he gave him a clue. He says he will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. You know, but the fact is that God gave Moses the main points, the highlights of what he needed to know, but didn't give him all the details, didn't tell him how many times he was going to have to go back to Pharaoh, didn't tell him how many times Pharaoh was going to change his mind. He doesn't give us all the details because then we won't need him. Then we won't rely on him. You know, then we wouldn't need to be in faith. We wouldn't need to trust him. You see, God loves us to be in faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11, 11 says, It was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was old. She believed that God would keep his promise. Now that is two lines. It was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and too old, but she believed what God, that God would keep his promise. Those two lines, that one sentence is 25 years of heartache, 25 years of being in faith, then moving into unbelief, then making a plan because we don't think God is going to follow through on his word, making a plan in our own wisdom and strength. Then when it's most impossible and there's nothing else we can do and Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90, at that point they become pregnant, which is 25 years after God gave Abraham the promise in the, in the, in the first instance. So can you see that even in those two lines, it's just two lines, you know, it was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child. Yes, it was by faith. But you know what? She moved from faith to unbelief to making a plan 25 years down the line. Then the promise was fulfilled. It was all a process. It didn't just happen. And that is the thing about the word of God. Um, it's the same with another example, which I love, which I'm going to share. 1 Kings uh, uh, 17 verse 1. It says, now Elijah, who was from Gilead, told King, King Ahab, 
As surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain for the next few years until I give the word. Okay, and this was really all, you know, about Baal. Those who worshipped Baal believe he was the God who brought the rains and the harvests. And so Elijah, when he walks into the presence of this Baal-worshipping king and tells him there'll be no rain for several years, the, uh, you know, Ahab was shocked because he believed Baal was the one who controlled the rain. But anyway, it says, so, uh, uh, so Elijah declares a drought. Then in 1 Kings 18 verse 1, it says, Later on in the third year of the drought, so this is three years later, the Lord says to Elijah, Go, present yourself to the king, King Ahab, and tell him, I will soon send rain. So Elijah says to Ahab, verse 41 to 44 of 1 Kings 18, Go, get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. And what did Elijah do? He climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Once, no. Twice, no. Three, no. Four, five, six, seven times he had to pray. The Lord had already spoken the word. He'd already given the word that it was going to rain. Uh, and Elijah had already declared that it was going to rain in agreement with the word of God. But he still had to go to the top of the mountain and pray, put his head between his legs. I don't know how long he prayed for each time, but the fact of the matter is that he had to be persistent in praying. There was a process even to the fulfillment of that one word which God had had clearly spoken to Elijah to declare. He had to pray it into being. He had to pray seven times. He had to tell his servant to go and look. And after the seventh time, then they see the, um, a cloud like a man's fist, and then it begins to rain. You see, there's always a process to the fulfillment of a word from the Lord. There's always warfare associated with it. There's always faith required for it. There's always prayer required for it. Not just one prayer, a glib prayer. Not just two. Maybe it's days. Maybe it's weeks you know, maybe it's months praying, laboring to see the fulfillment of the word. Yes, God has declared it, but we still have to pray it into being very often. And there's a journey very often with waiting and trusting in the Lord, a process to fulfillment of that word. And maybe the process is also about us and our own process that we're going through at the same time to fashion us and shape us, even as we wait for the process of the word to fo follow its, its path. And God doesn't give us all the details up front, you know. Um, continuing with Moses, he asks Jethro, his father-in-law, if he could go back to Egypt, obtains his blessing, sets out for Egypt with his family and embarks on his journey. You know, his heart was already set on obedience. And then God begins to speak and to give him a few more details. Um, Exodus 4, verse 20 to 21, Moses took his wife and his son, set them on a donkey, returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I've put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. I don't know about you, but I possibly would have wondered if the goal, Lord, is to get the people out of Egypt why harden Pharaoh's heart and make it difficult for ourselves? Why not we just keep the main thing the main thing? Let's keep the main purpose in focus. Let's leave Pharaoh's heart alone. Let's get the Israelites out, you know. But the reality is that God is secure in his own power. God is secure in his abilities 
abilities to bring his purposes to fruition. God knew that whatever the state of Pharaoh's heart, when the time came, he could make his purpose happen. It was Moses. It's you and I who sometimes feel a little bit insecure. It's you and I who want to get to the end and go the quickest path, the straight path, because we're a little bit, we're a little bit unsure. We're a little bit insecure. You know, but God is not insecure. He's completely comfortable with himself. He's completely secure in his own abilities. So Moses and Aaron make their way to the elders of the Israelites in Egypt and they get their buy-in on the plan to go and speak to Pharaoh. And they receive Moses and his ideas and worship the Lord. And then they go to Pharaoh and they request what God told them to request. And as Moses probably as Moses probably knew in his gut, Pharaoh responds with two questions and then his response to their request. He says, who is this Lord? Why should I obey him? And no, the Israelites can't go. We see it in Exodus 5 verse 2. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know him and I will not let Israel Israelite go. I will not let, let Israel go. In summary, it was a closed door. God had told him to go, but the door was closed in their faces. A closed door in their faces. This is very interesting to me because it means that a closed door does not mean that God is not in it. And in this case, he'd actually told Moses that the door was going to be closed. He doesn't always tell us that the door is going to be closed. So we have to really listen to God and understand the way that he wants us to go when he gives us a word. And Moses and Aaron appeal again. And what was Pharaoh's response? Pharaoh increased the workload of the Israelites to impossible proportions. Once again, we see God about to do something miraculous. He's about to bring breakthrough, um, the breakthrough that his people have been crying out for for years. And what happens? The assignment against the people of God is intensified. It's intensified. So it's like the closed door is locked. What do the Israelites do? They turn on Moses. They turn on the very one that God has sent. You know, they blame Moses. They desire the judgment of the Lord on Moses even. You know, Moses was the one that God had prepared his whole life to deliver these people. God had been working a process in his life to deliver them. And I can tell you something that that process wasn't pleasant. God has been preparing Moses to deliver these people. He was God's chosen instrument He's gone through, he went through a very difficult process so that he would be able, that he would be qualified to help them. And they turned on him. They turned on him. Effectively, Moses would pour out his life for these people and they don't see it. They don't understand it. And they don't want him to, quite frankly, they don't want him to do it anymore, you know, and their leadership lessons from that. You see, when God calls you to something great, the process of preparation will likely be hard. When God calls you to lead his people where they need to go, they might not receive you even though God has sent you. They might not appreciate what you've done or what you've been through for them. They might not see what you see. They might not follow easily. They might backbite. They might complain. You know, they might turn against you. But obedience to God is what counts at the end of the day. Obedience to God is what counts. We see this in Exodus 5 verse 21, what the people, the attitude of the people. And they said, and they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. They were complaining against Moses. You see, as leaders and as people, God has called to do 
things for him. When we seek celebration and acceptance from those we are called to, it becomes a snare. It's very dangerous. And that's something that God has to uproot from us very often in our own processes of preparation. So it doesn't become a snare to us. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. We need to be free, like Jesus was, from the fear and the praise of man. We need to not receive the honor from man into our hearts. You know, um, remember I mentioned Ezekiel and his call. <laughs> and I love what the Lord says to him. He says, son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, a rebellious nation. They and their fathers have transgressed against me. They are impudent and stubborn. I'm sending you to them. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse for their rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words, nor dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. That is where God wants us to dwell, where we can obey Him, regardless of what people say, what they do, their looks, their intents, whether we dwell among scorpions, whether it's a very difficult space, whether we received or we not received, we have to continue keeping our hearts and being faithful with what God has put on our lips and in our hands, and be faithful to what God has called us to, faithful, 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 regardless of the reception from man. And in this particular instance with Moses, as the Lord promised, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And as a result, many wonders were done in Egypt. And we know that the first wonder was the Nile was turned to blood. And still Pharaoh didn't let the people go. The second was that frogs filled the land. And then Pharaoh promised that if Moses and Aaron interceded and asked the Lord to take away the frogs, he would let the Israelites go. When the frogs had died, his heart was hardened. And he changed his mind and he went back on his word and he wouldn't let the Israelites go. And so on and so forth. We see this type of pattern happening through all the various wonders and, and that God did in Egypt and the plagues that, that were sent, that God sent. The third one, all the dust became lice on man and beast. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hard. The fourth one, did I say the, th the fourth one, swarms of flies came over the Egyptians, but no flies in Goshen where the Israelites lived. So flies came, but Goshen, where the Israelites were living, they didn't go there. They only um, bombard. They only came upon the Egyptian the Egyptians. Pharaoh tried to get the Israelites to compromise. At this point, he said, "You can sacrifice to your God, but you can just do it nearby." But God had been very clear. He said the Israelites needed to travel three days into the wilderness to sacrifice. You know, if Moses had been willing to compromise, the, the Israelites would not have been positioned for their deliverance. See, sometimes compromise, although it feels easier, actually can end up short-circuiting the fullness of the plans and purposes of God in our lives. No compromise. No compromise. We fulfill, we must do what God has given us to do. No compromise. You know, finally, Pharaoh agrees to let the people go. Um, only if Moses will intercede to God for the flies to be removed, which he does. And as soon as the flies are removed, Pharaoh hardens his heart and he goes back on his word once again. Okay, all the livestock of Egypt, Egypt die, you know. In this case, no Israelite, Israelite livestock dies. Still, 
Pharaoh doesn't, uh, his, his heart is, is still hard. Boils broke out on all the Egyptians and their animals. And the Israelites, they, they did not have any boils. Still, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, all of these times, Moses is going and he's asking, asking Pharaoh. And you kind of wonder the process of speaking to Pharaoh that he would let the people go. I wonder when Moses began to ask the Lord, Lord, how many more times are you going to do this? How many more times is he going to harden his heart? Lord, how long is this whole process? Okay, so after the boils, then the Lord sent hail and fire on man and beast and every tree and plant in the Egyptians' land. The land of Gosh and the land of the Lord's people again was untouched. Pharaoh's heart, he hardened his heart. And he said he would, um, well, first of all, he said he would let the children of Israel go if the hail stopped. As soon as it stopped, he hardened his heart. Okay, The Lord sent, sent locusts. Pharaoh promised uh, to let the people go if the locusts were taken away. When the Lord used a wind to take the locusts away, Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Then the Lord sent darkness for three days, terrible darkness. Pharaoh still refused. And then is Exodus 11 verse 1. So this is quite a long process that I'm summarizing all of these plagues, all of these things. Multiple times Moses having to go, having to go back, having to go back, try that door. Is it opening yet? No, it's not opening. We're trying again. We're persevering. We're trying again. He didn't, I'm sure he didn't know how many more times uh, another plague was going to come. He was going to have to keep going back to ask Pharaoh. But here we see in Exodus 11 verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And afterwards, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. You see, God already knew the number of wonders he would perform in Egypt. He knew how many times he would harden Pharaoh's heart. He just possibly didn't tell Moses all of the details beforehand. You see, he doesn't have to tell us all the details beforehand. And he seldom does tell us all the details beforehand. And that last plague that the Lord said, the last wonder that the Lord sent and showed in Egypt was he struck the firstborn of Egypt from Pharaoh to every family, every Egyptian family and every and all the livestock of the Egyptians. And then Exodus 12 verse 31 to 32 it reads, Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. Finally, Finally, breakthrough. What a process. What a process. Remember, Exodus 3, verse 7 to 8, the Lord says, I've seen the oppression of my people and heard their cry and know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land that is good and large, flowing with milk and honey. We don't see any of those plagues in there. We don't see any of the wanderings of the wilderness in that word, you know. All we see in terms of the plagues was Exodus 3 verse 20, where God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. But he didn't give a lot of details. God doesn't have to give us a lot of details. And that's what I'm wanting to encourage us today from the life of Moses and from what happened in this particular portion of Moses' life, that God is a God of process. God is a God of purpose. God knows what is going to happen. God is well able to fulfill his plans and purposes through us as long as we walk in obedience and submit to his word. He doesn't rely on our ability, rather on our hearts. He, he needs our full commitment without compromise. He needs our submission. He needs 
needs our obedience and availability. And that provides him with all that he needs to accomplish his plans and purposes because he is enough. God is enough. And he doesn't want us to be quitters. And he doesn't want us to give up before that door has fully opened, you know. And I'm wanting to encourage us today in the midst of the process of fulfillment, whatever word that God, of whatever word of God that, that God has given us, we need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep on trusting God. We need to never give up. We need to be those who say, we are not quitters in this family. We are not quitters in this family. You know, whether I'm in a place right now where God is preparing me, I know that he's preparing me for something great, but I'm not fully sure. I've got an inkling of it, but he's preparing me. Submit to that process of preparation. Even begin to go ask God questions about who he's calling you to, what he's calling you to, what he wants you to do, what he's put in your hand, um, how he's graced you. Ask him those questions. He'll begin to unveil it. Ask him to stir your heart concerning the things that he's wanting you to be involved in. Maybe God has already given that word to you. Maybe you already have a sense of who he's sending you to and what he's sending you to do and you're waiting on that word, I want to encourage you like Moses, you keep going back, you keep going back, if God has given you a door to go through, you keep on, you keep going back, you keep standing on that word, you keep trusting God, you keep praying and praying and praying, it doesn't matter how many times it takes, seven is a number of completion of maturation, we're going to pray seven times until we see that cloud um, with the rain that's coming, we're going to keep on pushing until we see that breakthrough, because you know what, God is about his purposes and God will bring his purposes to fruition if we don't give up, if we keep trusting him, if we keep relying on him. And so that is what I wanted to encourage us today um, regarding from the life of Moses. And I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been blessed. Um, and I'm going to close. Let's close in prayer right now. Father, we thank you for everything we can glean from the life of Moses and from your word, from all of these accounts in your word, Father. We're just so grateful, Lord, and we ask today, wherever, I just ask wherever your people find themselves right now, Lord, whether it's in the midst of preparation, Lord God, or whether it's in the midst of waiting upon a word and the process of fulfillment of a prophetic word, I really ask that you would strengthen hearts right now. Hearts would be strengthened in, in their inner man with your Holy Spirit. I really ask for a stirring of faith in the inside of your people. I really ask for a strengthening of hands and feeble knees. I really ask, Lord God, that you would cause people to lift their eyes and fix our eyes on you, Lord God, knowing that you are a God who is more than enough. You are enough, Lord God, no matter what we see our weakness weaknesses as and we just ask that you would help us to see as you see and keep on standing father god no matter where we find ourselves no matter how long these things take in the name of jesus amen and amen mm -hmm.